0: The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 5 Stay for the Worms. I'd never been particularly good at finding missing persons, and I suspected I'd be even worse at finding dead ones. That didn't make a difference to Riviero. He pressed a stack of $100 bills into my hand and committed to double my daily rate if I started immediately. I thought about the money I was going to need to pay Caesar to fix the galaxy set aside my concerns about Riviero's obsession with dead bodies and multi-story mausoleums, and agreed to put in at least a week searching for the earthly remains of Maria de Magistris. My first stop the next morning was a cheapo car rental place near Caesars Garage. Despite promising me a veritable Whitman sampler of cars to select from when I called, Upon my arrival, all they could produce was the automotive equivalent of the dreaded Pistachio Nougat, a four-cylinder Hyundai, or the chocolate-covered Cherry, a jet-black Cadillac Escalade. Since Riviera was paying for it, I went with the Escalade, but I didn't like riding so high, wide, and pretentious. At least the sound system was good. I kept the stereo tuned to KCSM, the only remaining jazz station in the Bay Area, and wended my way across the Bay Bridge to Oakland, while the KCSM DJ played a full side of John Coltrane's seminal Giant Steps on vinyl. For lack of any better plan, I was heading to Mountain View Cemetery, the largest and most prestigious cemetery in Oakland. I wasn't expecting to find Maria in the first place i tried, but I hoped I could at least pick up a few tips on the best way to organize future efforts. Mountain View was on a parcel of rolling, lung-shaped greenery at the end of Piedmont Avenue. I knew it for its Millionaire's Row, where a number of wealthy 19th century industrialists, aka robber barons, were buried in a line of grandiose monuments, I'd also read somewhere that it had been designed by the guy who built Central Park. I beached the Escalade by an imposing stone building with classical Greek aspirations and backtracked across the island of the roundabout I'd circled on my way in. I was headed to the cemetery office, which was housed in a red brick Gothic, trimmed in white stone. A gardener had his wheelbarrow parked near the front, and was busy planting tulip bulbs in the beds on either side of the walkway. I nodded at him, went up the steps, and pushed through to the lobby. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. One part tour office, one part showroom, and one part mourner's waiting area, the bulk of the space was taken by a large-scale model of the grounds. A group of the sort of people who are otherwise unoccupied at 10 a.m. on a weekday were studying it with maps that pinpointed the location of graves of famous people clutched in their hands. One birdwatcher type wearing an Alaskan bush hat exclaimed to his wife, Look, there's Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia. We'll have to check her out. Off to one side was a room that showcased cremation urns and headstones and off to the other was an arrangement of furniture. Perched on the edge of one of the sofas was a frail black woman in a black crepe dress, white gloves, and a serious church-going hat. She dabbed a hanky under her eye while a young man next to her gripped her by the elbow and leaned in to whisper comforting words. I threaded my way past the birder and went up to a counter that separated the lobby from an office bullpen. I studied a row of state licenses for cemetery salespersons with the directive, must be available for public inspection, printed on each license, while the receptionist behind the counter paged through a ledger size appointment book with a phone glued to her ear. After noting down a date for the columbarium, she hung up and asked me what she could do for me. I'm guessing the columbarium doesn't serve drinks, I said. She pushed her cat-eye glasses further up the bridge of her nose and swept a lock of ash-blonde hair behind her ear. But I could tell what she really wanted to do was bop me in the nose.
1: No, sir. A columbarium is a place for the respectful display of cinerary urns. I was setting up a pre-need planning appointment for a prospective client.
0: Right you are. So you asked how you could help me. I wanted to talk with a manager.
1: The general manager? Sure. May I ask what it's regarding?
0: Much of the time I had to lie about the motives for my inquiries, or pretext, as the news coverage for a lawsuit involving corporate spying recently characterized it, but today I decided the truth would serve as well as anything. I'm a private investigator. I've been hired by the family of a young woman who may have been buried under a false name at the cemetery in the early 70s. The family is trying to locate her so they can bring her remains back to Argentina, which is where she's from. I see.
1: I can let you review the burial registry. You don't need to talk to the general manager for that.
0: I might add that there's some suggestion of criminal activity. I might add that, but the only one suggesting it was me. So much for avoiding pretexting. The receptionist caught her upper lip between her teeth and gave it a good chewing. Criminal, she apparently decided, was not something she wanted to make the call on.
1: I'll check and see if he's available,
0: she said, and slid off her chair. When she returned, I was told that Mr. Arrow would be happy to join me in the sales conference room in a few minutes' time. She directed me to a door off the urn and headstone display area, and I amused myself during the wait by examining the black-and-white photographs of Mountain View monuments and statuary that decorated the room. I was standing in front of a picture of a tragic-looking stone angel whose nose and wingtip had broken off when Arrow made his entrance. He wouldn't have gotten my vote for Cemetery General Manager on What's My Line. He had a florid complexion, a great bushy goatee with matching bushy hair, and round glasses with more than a bit of correction, imparting a slight fisheye look. He was dressed casually in a striped shirt and khakis, and the shirt and the several inches of gut overhanging it made me decide he wasn't the sort of person who worried about stripes, making him look fatter. He smiled easily when he spotted me and put out his hand. Jeff Arrow. August Reardon, thanks for taking the time.
1: Not at all. It sounds intriguing.
0: He nodded me into a chair at a conference table and took a seat across from me.
1: Linda said you were a private investigator. I suppose I should ask if you have something to back that up.
0: A license, like your salespeople, all PIs are required to carry one. I leaned over to take out my wallet, but he said,
1: Oh, don't bother. I wouldn't know a real one from a fake one. Just as you probably couldn't identify a funeral director credential.
0: You got me there. I retrieved my wallet anyway and fished out a card, which I pushed across the table, for what it's worth. Arrow glanced at it, but left it where it lay.
1: Thank you. Now tell me what you're after. Linda said something about kidnapped remains from a foreign country, from the 70s yet.
0: That's probably making it sound a little more intriguing than it is. I relayed the whole story, exactly as I got it from Riviero.
1: And you've good reason to believe that she's buried at Mountain View?
0: To be honest, it's more of a...
1: Wait a minute, you're the guy from the cable car shootout, aren't you?
0: I cleared my throat to speak, but decided just to nod my acknowledgement. I was getting entirely more attention from the incident than I wanted.
1: And this Maria de Magistre?
0: She would have been the aunt of the girl who was shot by the gripman. Technically step-aunt. But it's the same family.
1: Well, you've got yourself an interesting problem. 1974 is well before my time. I can check the records, of course. But if she is buried under a false name, it will be hard to distinguish her from the other women who were buried in that year.
0: What about the fact that she was shipped from overseas? Wouldn't there be some record of that? Some extra red tape or bureaucracy that could leave a paper trail? Arrow laughed.
1: You wouldn't believe all the red tape associated with shipping a body into or out of the country. In general, you need a certified copy of the death certificate as well as burial transit permit with a notarized statement from a doctor or medical examiner stating that the body did not die from a communicable disease. You also need a statement from the embalmer saying that the body was embalmed and disinfected and what embalming method was used. And there are special packing requirements. The casket has to go into a hermetically sealed zinc container and then into a wooden shipping crate. Then an official wax seal must be put on the top of the crate proving that everything was done right. It's quite the production.
0: Sounds like there's a butt coming in here somewhere.
1: There is. The problem is the cemetery is not required to keep any of those records, and we don't. All that documentation is to satisfy U.S. and state requirements. The only thing that still might be on file from 1974 is the burial transit permit. A copy of that is supposed to be turned into the health department of the county where the body is ultimately interred. Nowadays, they are only required to keep them for a year, but it's possible some counties would have older records. Mountain View is in Alameda County, so you could check with them. But if I may make a suggestion.
0: Yeah, sure. Arrow smoothed the tips of his bushy mustachios and smiled.
1: Earlier, you didn't seem quite certain that La Senora de Magistrie was buried at Mountain View.
0: I'm not exactly, but I know they shipped the body to Oakland, and Mountain View seemed like the best cemetery in the city. So it seemed like a reasonable assumption.
1: It would be, except that Mountain View was pretty full back in the early 70s. We've annexed additional land and built a new mausoleum since then, but in 1974, space was at a premium, and what space there was was expensive. Unless you were a member of one of the old-time families with a private mausoleum, it would have taken a significant investment on the part of the living to enable you to spend eternity here. A much more likely resting place would be one of the cemeteries in Colma.
0: Why Colma? That's way down on the peninsula.
1: True, but there are 18 cemeteries in that town, 17 for humans and one for pets. The dead people outnumber the living a thousand to one and the reason is that San Francisco passed an ordinance in the early 1900s evicting all cemeteries from the city limits. Colma was set up to handle the evicted bodies as well as all the new business. I'd estimate that about 70% of the people buried in the Bay Area end up there. In fact, There's a joke in the industry about what the town motto should be. Care to guess?
0: Come for the quiet, but stay for the worms? Arrow let out a chortle.
1: That's funny, but it's not factually accurate. Most modern caskets protect the body from worms. No, the unofficial motto is, it's great to be alive in Colma.
0: I managed a weak smile. Good one. I'll put Colma on the list. That's in San Mateo County. Do you think they'll have retained the burial transit permits?
1: If any county would, it would be them. The other advantage with Colma is that there are a lot of genealogy sites on the web that have collected records from their cemeteries. You may be able to do some of your searching
0: online. Good, I said. I know someone who can help me with that, meaning Chris. I leaned forward in my chair. I appreciate all the suggestions you've made, but it would still be a great help if you would check your records for 1974. I might get lucky. Arrow jumped up.
1: Happy to. Can you narrow it down for me? Do you know what month the body arrived at the port?
0: No, all I've got is 1974.
1: I'll pull up all females interred during the year.
0: He paused with his hand on the knob and laughed.
1: I mean, of course, that I'll pull them up on the computer.
0: He was gone less than 15 minutes, and when he returned, he had a single sheet of pen-feed paper. He slapped it down on the table in front of me and stood at my shoulder, gesturing with a pen.
1: There you have it. Only 16 names, and none of them is Maria de Magistri. You'll see I've crossed off all the ones that I know were buried in big family plots or mausoleums. That leaves only seven who were buried in individual plots. You'll have to do more research to figure out if any of those are probables. But I need to warn you about one thing. The family's going to need a court order to disinter anyone. And to get a court order, you're going to need ironclad documentation to make your case. Frankly, given what little you have to go on right now, that's going to be very difficult to produce.
0: Arrow was right. This job was shaping up to be much more difficult than I imagined, and in a way, I was relieved. I could put in a week's worth of tilting at windmills, collect my fee, and hang it up without feeling guilty. I scanned the list of names. None of them called out to me. It had occurred to me that Maria might have been buried under her maiden name, but Riviero wasn't on the list. There wasn't even a Latin name among the remaining seven. I snatched up the paper and stood. Thanks for everything, I said. I appreciate your taking time to run the names and to educate me on the cemetery business. Arrow beamed and looked genuinely pleased to have been of help. You're
1: welcome. I'll share one more tidbit of value, although this item won't exactly put a spring in your step either. Back in the sixties and seventies, very few people were embalmed in Italy. They also used inexpensive wooden caskets. So if this person was buried for any length of time, when they exhumed the body, both body and casket would be close to disintegration. There wouldn't have been much to send to Oakland and even less now to send on to Argentina.
0: I thought about that for a moment and swallowed. Swell. I guess it's a good thing I've been hired to find the body, not dig it up.
1: You got that right.
0: Arrow shook my hand again and finished by saying,
1: Feel free to look around more if you like. The list has plot locations, so you can visit the graves if you think that might be useful.
0: I carried the list out of the conference room to the lobby in the model of the grounds and tried to get a general sense for where each of the graves was located. They appeared to be clustered at the far northeastern border of the cemetery, which was probably the last area with space in the 70s. I decided I wasn't going to define any special insights, by visiting them and shoved the folded list into my breast pocket. I went back outside and was standing on the sidewalk in front, watching the gardener tamp down the ground around his tulip bulbs when I heard a woman call my name. Melina Riviero waved at me through the open window of a fire engine red Honda she had piloted into the roundabout.
1: Buy you a cup of coffee?
0: You have been listening to The Big Wake Up, a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.